Welcome into the Joshua Perry Show here on April 1st, 2019. This podcast is, of course, starring former Ohio State linebacker, captain, national champion, and NFL player Joshua Perry. Mr. Perry, welcome in. Great to talk to you as always. You know what? Again, glad to be here. Probably the best way to start off my week. Just got back in town from Nashville. Love to talk some Buckeye football. You must have been down in Nashville watching the, the Columbus Blue Jackets just dominate, is my guess. Maybe no, I not. Wish I, I was. I wish I was at the game, but I wasn't. <laughs> it's good to see the Jackets doing so well. Um, all right, let's talk some football, obviously. Um, before we get into Ohio State spring ball discussion, um, you know, obviously one of the biggest topics right now, Joshua, is how kind of free agency has now arrived in college football. Not total free agency, but you see situations like Tate Martell, where we all know it wasn't like a hardship as we think of a hardship. I mean, it was playing time. But, hey, Ohio State's benefiting from it, too, with Justin Fields. Now that I know it's not apples and apples. I know there is – the racial uh, situation at Georgia with the baseball player that got kicked off the team. But just, you know, from a a general perspective, what do you think of the change in landscape and and kind of free agency being here in college football? I love it. I love it. I'm a, uh, I'm a player advocate. So anything that allows players more freedom to be able to enjoy their college experience, I love, Um, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy because it seems like um, these these letters of intent are kind of stronger contracts than some of the coaching contracts we see out here with the amount of turnover and the way that coaches bounce around. And it's not really frowned upon within the industry. I know there are several schools who will go through, um, you know, three or four position coaches or coordinators in the course of one player's four or five year career. And I think it's a shame um, because, you know, we sometimes you crucify a player for playing for a year and saying he wants to go somewhere else. Um you know, the whole deal. And personally, I don't think that guys should just be able to pick up and leave every time they have a problem or every time things get tough. But, you know, who you are at 17, 18 years old and where your priorities are at are probably different than when you're 20. And what you thought you were going to get out of the experience might be different than when you're 20. And how you thought you were going to develop and what kind of player you thought you were going to be is a little bit different than what you actually turn out to be. And so I think for a lot of guys, it presents these great opportunities. When you look at the, uh, the, the case of Tate Martell, it's really interesting what happened there. And I think it kind of sets a precedent for these transfers here because, you know, here's a guy who was really overplaying time, um, why he decided he wanted to leave, and they granted him um, his waiver. But I don't think that's going to end up being a typical case because from how I understand how everything worked, there had to be a level of cooperation on Ohio State side to yep. be able to tell a story, not not a story, but to be able to present the facts in a way that it would look like a hardship. If Ohio State wanted to be vindictive or vengeful toward Tate Martell, they could have said, no, the kid was just unhappy. But understanding that Ohio State as a school is like, you know what, we want this kid to play. He's going to a school. We're probably not going to face him. He's a good kid. Let him have his opportunity to go somewhere. I think that's going to be the big thing because what might happen is you get a school that wants to almost block a player from being eligible immediately so they might not do their due diligence properly. Or you get a compliance department that's just not very good at what they do, which some of these schools obviously have, that's going to hurt players in this transition. So um, what I was really excited about was um, how it went down, how he's able to go, but you know, understanding the situation here, there's so many moving pieces that I think he's a little bit unique in just how he was able to get his school that he's leaving behind him 
um, they were able to work together with the school that he wanted to go to, and it ended up working in their favor. Yeah, you're right. Ohio State chose, you know, not to fight it. You know, like if you look at the old Miss situation with Shea Patterson when he left, the reason that took so long, and a lot of Michigan fans were upset, like that Justin Fields was like eligible right away, and pretty much Tate Martell, even though he had to wait a little longer than Justin Fields, it didn't stretch out till like May, like it did with Shea Patterson. But as you alluded to, Joshua, that's because. Ole Miss was fighting that they were they did not uh, sign off on, on Shea Patterson. That, that's a great point. I mean, it's not that's why it's not that's why I use air quotes. Even though this is a, a podcast, people can't see me. I use air quotes when I say free agency, but man, it does feel that way. And you touched on a lot of the pros. Um, what are what are some cons that you could forecast? Like for example, I've heard some fans say, you know, a con could be a kid blows up at a Mac school after one year and then. These max schools aren't going to be able to keep those kids. They're just going to leave. But I think maybe I'm, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth. Hey, that's that's what's best for the player. But what are what are some possible cons you could see with this free agency? See, and that's that's the the, the shit right there that just kind of blows my mind because right. you know, oh, a kid blows up at a max school and they won't be able to keep him. Yeah, a coach blows up at a max school and they can't pay him either. So True. Like, that's exactly what you see on the other side of the business. It's just we feel one way about players and we feel a different way about coaches. So. I think the cons come more for the schools and for the coaches where coaches are going to have to be a lot more straight up in recruiting now because you can't sell a guy a dream and then trap him. You have to be straight up with his expectations because you know that he'll be able to leave the school if the situation is misrepresented and how you recruited him and how you handle your program are two different things. I think you're going to get a situation and it's probably not going to happen as much as you think where a kid out of my school blows up and he goes to a bigger school because that presents a lot of other issues. The talent pool that you're dealing with at another school is crazy. They're still going to recruit five stars. So if you made it at a max school and you, you roll the dice and end up going somewhere else, well, if they recruit a freshman who's better than you, you're going to be out of luck. If you would have stayed at your max school, you would have had a chance to get those minutes. So now you're looking at an ecosystem where players are going to have to evaluate, you know, if I do want to leave school as they typically do, what are my chances of playing at the next school? So, I, I mean, that could be an issue. I don't necessarily see it happening like that. I think the, the tough part here now is that the, the system where institutions and where coaching staff seem to have the most control, now they're going to have to find a way to keep these players happy as they recruit them, as they bring them on campus. They're going to have to be straight up with them. And then they're going to have to, I mean, readjust and reevaluate their system too. Now are you recruiting guys that are in the portal? Like, do you have to devote more people to portal recruiting than what you have? Because every staff's probably got a guy or two that monitors that. But if you get to a point where it says everybody gets a free transfer and you can be eligible immediately, are you having guys now who sit there and all they do is watch, you know, uh, college games and they watch guys run down on special teams thinking like, all right, this is a five-star guy. All he's doing is covering kicks. We, we might want him, so we got to keep an eye on him. Like, I think that is where the, the landscape starts to change a little bit, and it presents an issue for putting your staff together and how you evaluate those guys. These are such great insights, and I'm glad I got you a little fired up there. Um, Man. This is where it's good that we're over a uh, video conference call, and, and you can't just reach out and strangle me because I know you can put it up. <laughs> and to be clear, I was not advocating that it's – No. I just – but I have heard that, that, hey – this is going to be bad for the max schools, but you're like, that's a great point. I mean, there's no comeback to that. Okay, well, yeah, you could say it's bad for the max schools, but if a coach blows up at a max school, he's going to leave. I mean, Urban Meyer got his start where at a max school. Exactly. So that's that's a, a, a fantastic point on your part. Um, 
Do you think, let's say, like, every case is going to be different, but let's paint with a broad brush here. A kid does blow up at a Mac school. He wants to leave. Do you think most Mac schools would say, no, we're going to fight that? Or do you think they're going to do right by the kid? Again, I know every case is different, but do you think you think because they still could technically try and try and block the move you think that would be very prevalent or no yeah i mean if, if the rule is how it is right now they would absolutely try and block it they would be like you know your grounds for leaving is like where what's what's your hardship that you didn't go to a big enough school that maybe you're not getting exposure i think that um a lot of they i mean you could fight that and i think a lot of schools would and why wouldn't you like obviously you'll have a disgruntled player but like let's not take advantage of the rule right now as it's written. The hardship is not, I went to a small school and then became very good and I'm, I'm not having enough exposure because we've seen the amount of guys in the league who went to small schools and got drafted and been very successful. If they change the rule to everybody gets one transfer, like tough lumps are for a guy who blows up at a, a small school and you can't keep them like, you know, it's, it, and I think it, it, it levels the playing field too, because, you know, imagine being, one of these Mac coaches and you're able to recruit a few good guys and then your career starts to blow up all of a sudden. And now you're getting looked at by big schools. Well, let's say all of your really good guys end up leaving and you have to coach, you know, a bunch of three stars show us what kind of coach you really are. Like it's going to make your path a little bit tougher, but let's see who you're really made of. So um, I, I would suspect that as it is right now, a Mac school would try to block a player and I don't, I don't fault them at all because it's not really a hardship. It's a fascinating discussion. I could talk about it all day, but I do want to move on and talk uh, some Ohio State spring football notes with you. Um, let's start with the quarterbacks. We got a chance to interview Ryan Day after practice earlier today, earlier on Monday, for those that might be listening to the show on Tuesday or whatever. But uh, I got a chance to interview Ryan Day after Monday's practice. And I asked him the question. I didn't, I didn't expect he was going to give me like maybe a completely straight answer. Is there any separation between Fields and Baldwin? Because I can't imagine it's 50-50. It's got to be at least like, 5149 or or more one way or the other he sidestepped the question joshua and um i also asked him if he at least wants to name a leader not necessarily a starter but a leader by the end of spring and he said not necessarily you know a lot of that's coach, a lot of that's coach speak but just unpack that what do you, what do you make of those comments yeah um what you make of it is that you've got two players who are vying for one spot that are still young players still need to develop still probably need a little fire under their behinds um, you know, why, why, if you don't have to, would you go ahead and say, yeah, you know, this guy is definitely our guy. Like at this point, you're trying to keep everybody engaged. I mean, you don't know necessarily what fields is going to be. We all believe he's going to be a fantastic player. We all believe he's going to be the starter, but you just never know. And then, you know, the conversation that we just had, like, I mean, Matt Baldwin's going to, he's going to portal. What's your hardship? Well, you know what? Guy came in that nobody anticipated even playing for this program. And as one great quarterback was leaving, another one came in. Like, I bet you he'd try to play that card. So you want to keep him as engaged as possible. Um, as for would you be willing to name a leader coming out of spring, we don't feel we need to. I feel like that is more coach speak for media and for people following the program because in that locker room, you're going to start to – probably feel a shift in the way that they acknowledge one player versus another or the way that they train one player versus another or the you know the responsibility they put on one of those guys over another so the team can get used to following 
whoever that quarterback is, of, of, of being able to take note of what that quarterback's doing. So when the season comes, it's not brand new to follow that guy. So um, I would expect the shift here as the spring ends and they go into summer workouts and how internally they might acknowledge either one of those guys. Where do you come down on – I mean, do you feel like Justin Fields is going to be the starter, but you're, you also believe that Matthew Baldwin's really good? Just what, what, do, you, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, that's what I am fully expecting. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate when I was playing ball because we had Braxton, but you had a really, really good backup in Kenny G. And then you had JT and you had Cardale who was able to come in. So I think the play there is trying to keep as much talent stocked at quarterback as possible. And um, I think a big story of spring, obviously, is Josh Myers. Uh, we talked to, to Greg Stadrawa earlier on Monday. Uh, also, Ryan Day talked a lot about Josh Myers. We talked to Josh Myers himself. I mean, it's the quarterback of the offensive line, as we all know. There's a great lineage of centers at Ohio State, particularly like re- in the recent past. Um, and it sounds like Josh Myers is having a hell of a spring. And that's just music to my ears because having him lock down the center position is huge. It really feels like he's coming into his own. Uh, as a third-year sophomore, Joshua. Yeah, and it, I think it is a big deal. Um, I I think a lot of people wanted him to be at this point a year ago. So Mike Jordan could have stayed at guard. He could have been the center. And that, that would have, in a lot of people's minds, made more sense for an O-line. But the fact of the matter is it might have taken him just a little bit longer, but now he's here. Um, the center position, like you said, the quarterback of the O-line is extremely important. These guys are identifying fronts. They're identifying potential blitz patterns. They're turning the protection um, when they see something unique. Um, they're calling out stunts. Like these guys are so invested in their study and the X and O aspect of the game. And so having your center, a new center, coming along with the type of progress that we're seeing this early on in, in his experience you know, spring ball is the time you want to see that happen. You don't want to be in training camp trying to figure it out. You don't want to be game one, game two, trying to figure it out. So I think this only helps what we're seeing on our offense, uh, especially the fact that you've got a new tandem duo there, quarterback and center. But I think he's going to be a fine player. All right, let's go to your side of the ball, number 37. Um, a guy that's getting a ton of buzz is Tyreek Smith. It's not a huge surprise at all because – this is a kid as a true freshman last year was out there the third play of the season. He was out there the first third down. They had him out there. I'm like, well, they obviously like him a lot. He's out there right away as a true freshman. Uh, it doesn't take long to tell who the coach is like. Um, and he just seems to be everybody you talk to players. I know, you know, a lot about this. I mean, shed some more light on this. Why is everybody around the whack so excited about Tyreek Smith at, at defensive end? It's, it's everything you want to see. He's just a speed guy. He goes really, really hard. He's got a great get off. Uh, when it comes to getting off the ball and he can rush the passer. And so you bring these guys in here, you bring your athletes along, um, and you want guys who can get after the quarterback, just plain and simple. Um, seeing him out there as a young player, as you mentioned, um, it's surprising in, in some ways, and it's really not, because a lot of times you have issues with these guys really anchoring in their run support and understanding the concepts, um, but you know that they're really fast and they can get off the ball and you let them rush. The flip side of that is these guys can't anchor – they struggle and then they don't know how to rush because they were just fast enough to run around everybody um, when they were in high school. So the fact that he was out there early on in his career um, kind of shows that he was going to be able to move along and earn some playing time. Um, the fact of the matter is a guy like Nick Bosa is not around anymore. 
Um, he's irreplaceable. I mean, he only get a talent like that every so often. If you're Ohio State, you can get it back to back. Crazy <laughs> how that happens. But um, to be able to fill that void with a guy who plays the game really hard, he can get after the quarterback really well um, and wants to learn and develop, which I think is a big piece, is awesome. And the linebackers, uh, last thing here, um, Taraja's, Taraja Mitchell's yeah. getting part of the buzz, but in the same light, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll talk to the coaches and it's still like, and when we're out there at practice, depends on the day. There was a day we were out there where Taraja got all of the first team reps at middle linebacker, but tough Borland was sitting out and yeah. Baron Browning was sitting out. And I know they're yep. moving Baron Browning around a little bit. I mean, so Taraja Mitchell's getting a ton of buzz. I feel like he has to play, but then when you talk to the coaches, I mean, they talk him up too, but they're still saying tough Borland um, is out there with the one. So I guess, what do you envision happening there? Both guys are going to kind of rotate a little bit, or, or what do you think is going to happen? Listen, it, that's going to be the toughest one. Um, and if you – I mean, you talk to everybody around there, as you know, tough is the leader. He's the guy. He, he go-hard guy. Everybody loves him around the program. He has told me that he feels healthy, where last year I don't believe that he was 100% healthy and it showed in his play. So he is in a new mindset, a new frame of mind where – Damn it, I'm finally healthy now. I can shake all this shit off of me that people were talking last year. I can go out there and play my game. But tough gets dinged up a little bit in practice. Barron's out, but he's been rotating through positions. You get this guy, Taraja Mitchell, and big, strong, fast guy, smart. And he is just all over the damn field. He looks great. He looks like a linebacker. He's got the speed that people want to see on this defense. He's studying the game. He's learning. He's growing. He focuses on his technique in individual periods which is really hard for young players to do. So you're going to have a strong competition here. And what it's going to come down to is truly who earns it more because you unique offerings from either guy, kind of the young guy who's, who's ran down covered kicks, did a great job. Um, he's earned all the respect that he's getting throughout the program. And then you've got kind of the veteran guy. He's, he's taken his lumps. He's been through injury. He's come back. He's been a leader the whole time it's really going to come down to who shows it on the field and where the play is. So um, what, what I'm really excited about is how last year we said our linebackers stink. We don't have anything in the tank. And now we're getting to a point where we're, we're trying to decide who we're putting on the field at almost every position. I think we know that Malik's the guy at his position, but now we're talking Pete Warner looks much improved, but Brendan White's moving around in this bullet spot. And, you know, you've got, Dallas Gant, who's had a hell of a spring so far, and Taraji Mitchell. And you've got Tuff Borland, who looks really good. Justin Hilliard had a damn injury, but he was in the conversation, too. Malik Harrison's a beast. I mean, we're at a point in the linebacker room right now where I think Malik's got his position down, but you've got another five, six guys vying for two more spots. And I absolutely love it. And one quick follow-up, Joshua. I mean, normally you wouldn't think of using a rotation at middle linebacker. It's like the quarterback of the defense. But I can think of a year, 2014, when uh, things worked out pretty well for the Buckeyes. Sure. It was you and Darren Lee on the outside. You guys never yeah. left the field, really, as the outside backers. And then it ended up being Curtis Grant's job. But even in the national championship game, even against Alabama, Raekwon McMillan rotated in a little bit. And before that, it was almost more of a 50-50 like, rotation. Maybe not quite 50-50. Yep. So – could a, a rotation, if they decide to do it, if it's so close to call, could a, a tough Borland, Taraja Mitchell rotation in the middle work, you think? Absolutely, it can work. And, and this is why it works, is you have two different skill sets where 
you know, Tuff is going to be more of your downhill guy. I think everybody can probably say with some confidence that Taraji would be better in pass coverage because he's just faster. Um, so you get a guy who's got the experience in there. You let him play first and second down, heavy run tendencies. Um, you put him in there. Maybe if the game plan is, is a team who, you know, they do a lot of shifting and motioning and you need a guy who can handle that mentally, a guy who's seen offenses like that before in game situations. Taraj is a guy who you might put in there when you know that you've got a matchup where you might need athlete on athlete. You might put him in there more of a passing situation. So I think they can figure out that rotation. And for us, Curtis Grant was really good downhill. He became better in the pass game, but Raquan McMillan naturally just had better hips, so he could turn and run better. We used him in those situations. It made a lot of sense for us. Curtis, he'll run into a damn guard straight in the middle of his face and run him over if you let him. So we used him in those types of situations, and it ended up working out really well. Yeah, what do 